0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to our podcast, Gifts from God. Today we're talking with Focus on the Family Canada. They have a great resource for family and churches. Wendy, who's going to be talking with us, is an adoptive parent herself. Wendy's going to be talking about overseas adoption, but from a different point of view. Her daughter is now 18, so she's going to be talking about being an interracial family and what she has seen in the last 18 years. Wendy also talks about raising a child based on their stage of development, and not based on their age. So here is my interview with Wendy.
1: So Wendy, what is your role of Focus on the Family?
2: Well, I, my title is Vice President of Counseling and Care Ministries as well as I'm the Executive Director of our CARES Retreats Ministry. And so what does that mean? What, does it, what, what is your responsibility? Well, I manage and direct our counseling department, which um, handles telephone calls to our ministry uh, Monday to Friday, 8 to 4. We take calls from anybody in the country who wants to call us and have a free one-time counseling session with one of our in, in-house counselors. We also are running a brand-new program called Hope Restored, which is a marriage-intensive program. And we run those out of our retreat centers uh, in Alberta and Manitoba. And uh, we're doing intensive counseling for marriages. So those are, it's a long, long story, but three- to five-day um, marriage-intensive counseling. That's our counseling department. Then we have a care ministries department, which is where we answer all of the correspondence that comes into the ministry. So everything from I don't know how to toilet train my two-year-old to um, help. My husband just walked out of our marriage. I don't know what to do next. Um, So, you know, pretty amazing issues that people are kind of trusting us with, and we try to direct them to either resources that we have or outside resources or just something to help people. We also have a pretty extensive prayer ministry within the ministry that that team manages. So you are Um, very busy. Oh, it's, it's amazing. So adoption is actually just a sliver of what I do around here, but it's also a very significant part of the ministry that we have going on.
1: So um, I've known about Folks and Families since I was like a baby. I grew up uh, listening to the radio shows and the Adventures in Odyssey. So you've been impacting families, Folks and Families impacting families forever since they started. But over the last few years, I know they've really began to put more of an emphasis on adoption. What have you seen over the last few years in our Canadian churches when it comes to foster and
2: adoption? Well, interestingly, my own personal history is that before coming to Focus on the Family, I was an adoption social worker for about 10 years. And um, so when I came here to Focus, what, what we found was that um, Focus on the Family typically does a series of shows on uh, radio broadcasts in January on um, the, the sanctity of life. So, you know, everything from abortion to adoption to, you know, how can the church respond to the needs of, of women out there who are in distressed pregnancies to You know the needs of children who don't have homes what can we do and so i would start getting a lot of phone calls i you know was i was on the front line of the phone um when i first started started here almost 13 years ago and people would phone like in huge numbers in january in particular and ask questions about well okay how do we go about doing an adoption in canada and so we thought that one of the most useful things that we could do for families in canada would be to put together a website that gave all of the basic information. Basically, all the information I was giving to people, um, you know, on the phone, we put onto the onto our website. So we created a website called Waiting to Belong, and it's um, what I like to call a, a one stop shop for information about how you do an adoption in Canada for Christian families in particular. So I will definitely put a link to that. So people can get to that.
1: And have you seen um, have uh, a lot of people going to that? Have you seen like um, the churches in Canada really uh, embracing that?
2: Um, we think that we, it, the, the, the website has had very, very, very positive response, yes. Um, I think if people are accessing the information that they need. I take a lot less phone calls now <laughs> because people are able to find that information quite easily. Um, but you know, we've done a few other things as well. In, in 2011, which was kind of when we launched this program, we did a national tour with Stephen Curtis Chapman, raising awareness about the need for adoption in Canada, and in particular, drawing attention to the needs of children in the foster care system. Um, you may or may not know that um, probably about 20 years ago, we were at a real height in terms of international adoptions into Canada but that, the number of children that have been coming in from other countries has been steadily decreasing and there, there's quite a number of reasons for that. So there's been kind of a recognition that um, even though it's harder and harder to adopt internationally, there are so many children within the foster care system in Canada who are legally available for adoption, but um, Christian families have preferred to go overseas, you know, and, and honestly that's my own personal story of adopting internationally. Um less and less we're seeing birth parents uh, domestically decide to place babies for adoption. You know, there's a growing um, I think you know for a few good reasons, I, I believe that it's true to say that the teenage pregnancy rate is actually dropping in Canada. Um, there's also less stigma in terms of single parenting, um, and uh, so. Yeah, couples who want to adopt have been needing to look for other ways to do that than what they might have done 20 years ago. Um, and so with that has come, we think, a, a, a really positive awareness, and we've tried to really foster this awareness that there are kids right here in Canada who need Forever Families, and what can we do to help can Christian families in particular? Because we think that Christian families are one of the greatest resources to the social welfare system in this in this country, that is, you know, as as yet not nearly as tapped as it could be. Um,
1: so, what could Focus on the Family do if uh, see if there's a, someone listening here who is part of a church, and they're wanting um, to have um, a better culture in their church to help foster and adopt a families? Is there anything Focus on the Family could do, or where would you point that church?
2: Well, two things. One, we have a section on our website that is specially directed to um, support ministries. So we tell the story of a number of churches who have really picked up this mantle. So go and read stories of other churches um, who have done this. We have some um, tools and resources that churches can use. We have a whole series of little booklets that Focus on the Family has published that we're happy to send to churches to use as part of your ministry. And really the genius of those booklets is not that it's all the information that you would want to know about a lot of these topics, but it's enough information to make your church well-informed about the needs of foster and adoptive children and families. The other thing that we do is we run an annual conference called Together for Adoption. Um, and we run that in various parts of the country. We're actually hoping to bring it to Ontario this coming spring, um, that we run a whole segment of that conference on developing church ministries to support foster and adoptive families. So as FOCUS has this um, goal of
1: uh, getting um, the need out for foster care, what is your greatest need right now? What
2: does FOCUS need? Um well we're actually believe it or not we 're actually pretty well resourced in terms of um, we've had donors that have been quite generous to our ministry um, so we're able to carry out the activities that that we're engaged in we've had to limit um, what we can personally do uh, just because my time is as you have have heard is directed in a number of di- different areas but um, you know really just getting the word out that there is um, opportunity for families, that we have education available. Um, We have support available for families. All of my in-house counselors have been trained to be adoption friendly, which means that if families have fostered or adopted and are now struggling a little bit with some of the issues that come up along the way, my in-house counselors are actually quite skilled at pointing them in the right direction. You know, what we could use right now are, you know, churches that are willing to step up and respond to the call, and, um, you know, we're happy to help resource them, but that's really what we want to see happen is we think that, you know, families need churches behind them to support them. Um, In my own home church, um, we have a family that adopted three kids from the foster care system this year, and the church has stepped up in amazing ways to support that family, and that's what we want to see multiplied in churches across the country. It's not really about resourcing us. It's really about resourcing churches. And we're happy to just be in the background providing some of those resources um, and just watching churches step up to the plate.
1: So changing roles a little bit here. Uh, So you mentioned that you are an adoptive mom. So I just want to chat with you a little bit about that and what that's like. So what was your family like before you decided to adopt?
2: Well, we had one biological daughter um, early in our marriage and um, were unable to have more. And I was working as an adoption social worker at the time, so we watched, you know, other families bringing kids in from lots of places and thinking, wow, you know, we could do that too. And um, we married a bit later in life, so knew that our window of having children was a fairly short window. And um, so, yeah, we decided quite soon after having our, our first daughter that um, we would pursue adoption to uh, in, increase our family. So you said you did overseas adoption. Uh, so yeah. what, what is that process like for someone? Um, well, the process of adoption is pretty similar um, for the different types of adoption. So maybe just to back that up, there's kind of three ways to do an adoption in Canada. One is domestically, where you adopt a child, usually um, a child that has uh, just been birthed by a birth mother, and she places that baby for adoption. In most cases, that's an open adoption, and, um, and children are placed directly from birth mom to adoptive parents. The birth mother chooses a family. Um, and then international adoption is when uh, couple's, so the process is the same. You have to get a home study done. You have to get um, some training to do an adoption. Each of the ways that you do an adoption in Canada, you would start off with those things. You do a home study, you do some adoption education. Depending on where you're adopting the education might look a little bit different. So we went through those, those phases ourselves. We got a home study, we, um, we got our education, we, apl- we selected a country that we wanted to work with, and then we applied directly to that country. Um, and uh, an orphanage gave us a match to a little girl, and uh, we waited then. Um, and this is, this is the tricky part with international adoption. When we were doing our adoption, we started our home study at the same time that I started a home study for another family uh, in our community, um, writing it as their social worker. They, so that was in July. They were home with their child before Christmas that year, our paperwork was just going to Haiti at the same time that they were coming home with their child. We had every delay imaginable in those first six months. Um, and then the process of waiting on your child starts. And that process has become longer and longer and longer for families. And you probably heard stories even as recently as this week of, of families that are stuck in countries. Um, there's a couple of families stuck in Africa right now because the Canadian government is not uh, doing the paperwork that needs to be done to give those kids visas to come home. And uh, those stories are becoming all too common. It's one of the reasons why international adoptions are, you know, slowing down so dramatically. Um, We waited a whole year after being matched with our daughter before we were able to bring her home, but at the time that was a relatively short period of time. Um, As you can imagine, once you've been matched with a child, you want that child home in your home as quickly as you possibly can get them. And um, so it was hard for us to wait, even as long as we did, but families are waiting a lot longer these days.
1: And you mentioned there um, some of the families that are waiting. I have just, people are aware, um, it's something we should be contacting our government about. I know, especially one of those stories are people who live just pretty close to me, actually. And they have actually had to return back here to Canada um, because they're sick, and they had to put their child back into the orphanage after having their child out of the orphanage for a couple of months. Yeah. So that is pretty devastating. So we need to, and that is 100% Canadian government because yeah. um, everything is fine on the other side. So yeah. we need yeah. to be contacting our government for sure about that.
2: Absolutely. Um, so how old was your daughter when you were able to bring her home? So by the time we were able to bring her home, she was two and a half. And uh, what I like to say is that developmentally, she was an 18-month-old. So just barely walking, really not talking much to speak of. She had very little in the way of language skills. She understood everything that people said to her in Creole, which was her first language. Um, And so she would do what people would tell her to do, but she spoke really literally only two words she said no and mama and that was it um, and what I love to tell people is that by the time she was three years old she was three so in six months of being at home with us she literally caught up to her developmental and and bio- and chronological age and um, it's it was an amazing thing to watch she literally grew four shoe sizes in three months from the beginning of the summer to the end of the summer. Wow, that is bought,
1: amazing. <laughs>
2: I literally bought the same pair of shoes at the beginning of the summer in four sizes bigger at the end of the summer.
1: Wow. And so, what does how does that feel for you as a mom when you get to see um, such amazing changes so quickly?
2: And it was it was just really incredible, right? I mean, and you almost almost don't realize that it's happening because you know you're just parenting day by day and doing the best you can and just kind of realizing. I, I think. Understanding that there's a difference between a child's biological age and chronological, uh, sorry, that their developmental age and their chronological age are not the same thing is one of the most crucial things in parenting fostered and adopted children because just because a child comes to you and they're three or they're two or they're even 12 does not mean that developmentally they are that age. And you can't parent them as if they are. And that is just so incredibly crucial. So we just accepted that she was an 18-month-old, and we did all the things that we would do with 18-month-olds. I remember my mother-in-law criticizing me because I was feeding her at the dinner table. And, you know, in the mornings, she didn't need to be fed. She would wolf down three bowls of cereal in the morning all by herself, no problem. But by dinnertime, she was tired, and she was a little cranky. And to sit in my lap and to be fed was comforting. It was bonding, it was not necessarily developmentally age-appropriate, but what that did for her attachment was just so crucial. And so we did dumb stuff like I put her back on a bottle for a few months and just at bedtime we would cuddle and she would take a bottle and and sit in my arms and, you know, um, again, not developmentally or or, or not chronologically age-appropriate, you don't usually have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old still on a bottle. But bonding, attachment, just so, so, so helpful. And, by th- and like I say, by the time she was three, didn't need any of that anymore. Um, you know, she went through, you, you literally almost have to go back and repeat the stages that they missed that, that when they weren't in your home. Um, and, and it's paid off in spades. You know, she's now 18 years old and uh, she's graduated from high school, did very well. Uh, Is building her own little business Um, she's a great kid
1: so um, you've come out the other end so you can tell if there's someone who is uh, adopting or has adopted and they're in the middle of that right now where um, the developmental age is not where it should be and they're feeling frustrated
2: as someone who's come out the other end what advice would you give them well I think what's important is, is kind of what I um, was just saying. It, first of all, it's to remember that you are best advised to treat the child where their developmental age is. And, and, you know, the older the child is, the trickier that is, of course. You know, it's really easy when they're only two and a half. It's not as easy when they're 12 and 14, you know, to realize that developmentally they may only be 5 or 6. But the more you can kind of get that into your brain and and, and Help them to just go through those developmental stages the way that a, a much younger child would do it. Um, the more likely you can get them to progress to, you know, a stage that's closer to their own chronological age. And depending on the kind of damage that a child has experienced, I mean, you know, children who've had fetal alcohol damage or have had drug addicted um, mothers, you know, may not ever get to quite the same. D- stage as their chronological age and their development age. They they may never match, but just to realize, and uh, one one mistake that I see a lot of parents making is assuming that kids are doing things, um, you know, acting out behaviors, assuming that those are intentional to kind of get under the parent's skin or to, um, you know, push your buttons or something. In most cases, that's not what's going on. In most cases, kids are just, Acting out of fear is is a huge thing for kids who have experienced trauma or kids that have experienced delays is they have this innate sense of fear. And fear um, kicks up behaviors that we, you know, find very alarming, find very destructive in some cases. Um, But to realize that underneath what's going on is that kid is really, truly afraid of something. And they probably can't articulate it to you. Um, You know, early trauma, it often happens before a child even has verbal skills, they can't really tell you what's wrong, but if you can look at them and say, wow, you must be really scared right now, or, you know, just, I mean, even as recently as last night, my daughter had a kind of an off reaction to something, and, you know, you just kind of know in the back of your head, even if she can't tell you exactly why she's having that off reaction, it's probably related to some negative emotion that she's just not able to articulate and to go, okay, let's just take a step back here and realize that there's something else going on underneath this. I mean, that doesn't mean that you don't address behaviors. You know, you have to put boundaries out there to keep kids safe. You know, they can't be, you know, pounding on their brother or, um, you know, doing mean things to the kids, you know, in their classroom. But you know, understand that there's something underlying that behavior. They're not just trying to push your buttons. They're not just trying to be bad. They're not just trying to be mean. They are having a hard time coping when those things come out.
1: So um, how close in age are your two daughters? Um, they're about three and a half years apart. And so they are they're, that's pretty close in age as far as growing up. Um, yeah. how, how was that with you have two girls? Um, Growing up pretty close in age, um, but one being from Haiti and one being from Canada.
2: Well, it's been really, (laughs) some things that have been very interesting about it. My older daughter, um, uh, here's a funny story, when she was, so she was an only child until she was five, by the time we brought her sister home, right? And uh, she had a number of friends, Um, we had several families in our social circles that had children um, who are also black, several of them from Haiti. And uh, it was really funny, just about a couple of months before Sonice, our, our younger daughter, came home, um, we were sitting at the lunch table with my friends who have three kids from Haiti. And all of a sudden, um, my oldest looks at one of the boys and says to him, hey, you're brown. And he goes, um, yeah. <laughs> like, duh. Like, when, when did you first notice that? And um, I and I, I said to her later, like, was that was that a problem for you? And she says, well, like she says, like, well, but but black people and br- or brown people and white people don't belong in the same family. And I said, well, well, you know, look at our friends, you know, they have three white people in their family and they have three black people in their family. And she goes, oh, yeah, okay, well, I guess then that then that's good. <laughs> and so that was kind of her first introduction to even being aware of race. And the really, really interesting thing that's happened in our family is that our oldest daughter has gravitated very much to people of color. So in her friendship circles, um, she was in church just recently, and three boys that happened to all be friends of hers all showed up to church this one day. And all three of these boys were varying shades of brown. And I kind of looked at that and thought, isn't that funny? And I mean, I love it. I embrace it. I think it's great. Um, But she gravitates to those people. Um, My younger daughter, on the other hand, who is black, you know, has had a bit of a harder time being able to, you know, feel great about her identity, and she has gravitated to all the white kids in her class, and she wants to be just like the white girls. And uh, so that's been a bit of a concern on the other side. You know, we try very hard to help her feel good about who she is, and At one level, she really does. At another level, she, you know, she does struggle um, because her perception is that, you know, boys only like white girls. And so, you know, at her developmental stage of life right now, that's a pretty big issue. You know, she feels like she can't get dates because she's black. And we look at her and say, oh, my heavens, girl, you are like one of the most gorgeous people we've ever seen, which is totally like if you saw her picture, you would just be stunned by how beautiful she is. Um, But, you know, in the eyes of everyone, that's not the way it is, right? And we kind of feel a little bit like racism isn't a big deal in Canada, um, naively, because it it actually is much more of a big deal than we realize. It's subtler than perhaps in the U.S., but, um, you know, she certainly has experienced it, but not in sort of some of the overt ways that we expected she might. So it's been a really interesting dynamic kind of living with that. The girls haven't always been close. Um, sometimes they have, sometimes they haven't. Sometimes, you know, they, they both, because of um, you know, the three years between them, have, have tended to gravitate more toward their own social circles than, than towards one another, although they're getting to be closer now that they're a bit older again. Um, what would
1: you say to someone who is thinking of international adoption, but that is a concern that they have, um, that they're worried, that they won't know how to raise somebody who um, is different than them, that they're afraid of racism, things like that. What advice would you give them?
2: Well, one of the probably most important pieces of advice that we've been given along the way is to make sure that we have friendships, relationships with people of color Um, because that's something that we really can't give to our kids. We can't understand it in the same way as actually living in their skin and so um i wouldn't I wouldn't hold ourselves out as the poster children of the people that have done that the best of anybody, but um, one thing I am quite proud of is I have a couple of African friends who tell me that they feel like I'm kind of African <laughs> um, because you know we we have welcomed them into our friendship circles and and uh, you know really enjoy hanging out with them and you know, it's important, you know, black girls, for example, it's really important that you do their hair well, you know, and I I can't braid hair to save my life, but, you know, we've made sure that we've taken her to people who have the skill to do that, and that, you know, she looks good from an African hair perspective, because it's different, and it's, it's, you know, not something that's in my wheelhouse, but, you know, taking care to, um, embrace a child's culture, to understand it the best you can, to acknowledge that you can't understand it in exactly the same way because you don't experience it the same way, understanding what white privilege is and then being aware of the reality of it, and in some ways using it to your advantage when it comes to your kids. You know, I was pretty quick to march into a school and say, you know, I expect you all to treat my kid well, um, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, you know. we'll we'll call out any racism that we, you know, get a whiff of anywhere around here. And, you know, we we did on occasion when we needed to. Um, But yeah, finding role models, finding mentors for your kids of their own race is is important if you possibly can find that. I know families that have um, literally moved to other communities where there was a little bit higher population of people that would look like their kids. We took our daughter to Jamaica last year for a spring break trip because she had just been longing to go to be in a place where people looked like her. And honestly, it was really healing for her to spend that, even just, even just a week, um, feeling like she was part of the majority instead of the minority for a change. Um, those are little things and they don't you know, fully address the issue, but uh, you know, it was, it was a trip worth taking just for her sake. Wow, that gives me a lot of things to think about that I know I
1: haven't really thought about. Um, a different point of view, for sure. Uh, our time is almost up, so I want to ask you just one last question. We want to pray for you today and for your family. What um, could we be praying for?
2: Um, well, as our daughter launches out into the world of being an adult, um, like I said, you know, one thing I have prayed for her for years and, um, and really God has not found, seen fit to answer this. I would just honestly love for her to have a best friend who would be somebody that would understand her, would support her, particularly somebody who would be a believer, um, which she hasn't really had in her life uh, in a solid way. Um, she's very shy. And so she struggles with, um, you know, friendships have been difficult for her. Like I say, she's gravitated toward the white kids, and I think it's all about fitting in. And it's, um, you know, having relationships that matter developmentally is such an important thing in her stage of life. So, yeah, just a best friend, a boyfriend, you know, doesn't have to be a boy, but just somebody that just loves her for who she is and, and, um, and sticks with her would be a wonderful thing in her life. Wow, well, I can, uh, just
1: hearing that, like my mom heart goes out, right? Cause that is like uh, what we want for our kids. And especially as they get, are getting older and we realize they're going to be leaving us and walking out, that we want them to have that support.
2: Yeah. Well, thank
1: you so much for being willing to share your
2: story with us today. Oh, well, it's my, been my pleasure to do it.
0: <laughs> I hope that you really enjoyed today's podcast. Um, You can check out our website, lauraleesiemens.com, and then click on the Foster and Adoption section on that to see um, more blogs, um, some videos, and more podcasts. And also make sure you subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss any. We're going to be having some more episodes coming up where Leslie and I are going to sit down and answer questions that you have about fostering and adopting. So please send in those questions to us so that we have something to talk about when we get together and do our podcast. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast, Gifts from God, and we will see you next week.